Uh, this morning, we're going to cover the first eight verses of John 15. First eight verses of John 15. I am the, the title of this lesson is I Am Divine. I'll go ahead and read these for us. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, He prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be my disciples. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for our time this morning. Father, as we open your word this morning, Father, we pray that your truth will be clear. We pray that the Holy Spirit will illumine our hearts and our minds. Father, we pray that your truth will change us today. Father, we pray that we will be different tomorrow and the following week because we were here today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So in today's passage, in these verses, we see the last of the I am sayings. This is the last one. If you've been keeping count, this is number, anybody want to guess? This is number, anybody have a guess? Miss Pam was whispering. Seven. This is number seven. There are seven total. This is the last one. This is the last of the I am sayings. And this one is a little bit different when you look at it. Um, because this is the only one that has a second aspect to it. Okay, um, the verse one it reads this way: "I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser." So you see a little bit of a difference here. This is this is this is new. Uh, this this is the only I am saying that kind of has this. Well, so let's look at let's look at verse one again. The title of this lesson is "I am the vine." That's what Doctor Sproul titled this lesson. With these words, what Jesus is doing here with the two, with the with the first and second aspect to it, he's distinguishing between his role and the role of the Father. Now, um, the the words he uses here carry uh, great significance. Okay, great significance considering the Old Testament imagery. Okay, considering uh, what the people of the time should have known, been very familiar with. Uh, this, these words, uh, using the metaphor of a vine, uh, carries great significance. What we know about ancient Israel, about much of the ancient world, uh, was that it was an agrarian society. We understand that. And in this particular region of the world, one of its key crops was grapes. Okay, so when a teacher 
would be get, would be speaking or teaching, and he starts using the imagery of vines and grapes. I mean, automatically you you should they should have or he should have their attention, right? And they would understand that when you use that imagery, there's a lot behind that, and they would understand that. And so, um, because of that, uh, that because of the use of, of the society that the, the the grapes being the key crops, there are many metaphors in the Old Testament that have to do with vines. In, in fact, uh, the vine was used as a metaphor for the nation of Israel itself. Uh, we see that in the Old Testament that God called the nation of Israel His vine. We see it in several uh, references in Psalm 80 and Isaiah 5 and Jeremiah 2. The fact that God had planted it, He tended it, and He expected it, the nation of Israel, to bear fruit to all nations. The uh, and 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 the gospels, in fact, as we know, uh, have showed us much of that the Old Testament teaching with respect to Israel, okay, and what God had planned for Israel has been, in fact, fulfilled in Jesus Christ Himself. So, when Jesus here in the upper room, uh, with these words, with this these metaphor, the words that He is using. Jesus is in effect saying, I am the true Israel of God. He's effectively effectively saying that. Again, that's calling upon the the Old Testament and the things that we have and what God said about His nation. Now, there are many people, uh, even today, who would believe that God has not one plan of redemption, but two plans of redemption. They would say that God has one plan for the Jews in the Old Testament. And then they would say he has another one, another plan of redemption for the New Testament church. Now, this view uh, rejects that Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament Israel. The, folk, the people who believe this, uh, they, they have departed from what we would call as Orthodox Christianity. And um, it is popular this view, this two plans of redemption, but just because it's popular doesn't make it right. It's not biblical. Now, in our verse today, our Lord clearly identifies Himself as the Israel of God. Okay, He is the Israel of God. Now, He he declared that He had fulfilled all that was required of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. It is now being fulfilled in Himself. <coughs> I mentioned Psalm 80 is one of the Old Testament passages that uses the metaphor of the vine. And we'll look at a few verses from Psalm 80. God, God calls the people of Israel to repent of their sins and return to God. And we have these words in Psalm 80. Return, we beseech you, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see and visit this vine and the, van- and the vineyard which your right hand has planted. And the branch that you made strong for yourself, it is burned with fire, it is cut down. They perish at the rebuke of your countenance. Let your hand be upon the man of your right hand, upon the son of man, whom you made strong for yourself. Then we will not, then we will not turn back from you. Revive us and we will call upon your name. Now, What's the, the psalmist is using the imagery of, uh, of the vine, right? He first calls for what? For God to return to them. 
Because why? Because God has left them. Because of their own disobedience and their own uh, betrayal of God. So God has left them and in, 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 in the... And they're, of course, in, in the way they see it. And he's asking for God to return to them. Now, in the context, the psalmist speaks of Israel as the vine. He clearly says that. And the vineyard is the vineyard that God himself has planted. Now, uh, again, in the, the case of the psalmist here, well, what's the status if you're gardeners? You know, what's the, if, if you don't tend it and you walk away from it, what happens? Right, it becomes in disrepair. If if you've ever seen a pristine garden, uh, if you were to walk and see it, and you see it, you walk into somebody's garden and you see it well taken care of, it's well tended, it's fruitful, it's bearing fruit. There's no weeds in. Then what do you automatically know? There's a gardener somewhere, right? <laughs> you don't look at that garden and say, "Man, it just made itself that way," do you? You, you don't look at that. It just I wonder how the how wonder how it does. It just does it for itself. Absolutely not. It does not happen by itself, does it? You look at that, you know there is a gardener. Well, the vineyard, again, back to the psalmist, uh, the vineyard's in poor condition. Why? Because God has left it to themselves. And, and of course, they are making a mess of things. And so the psalmist asks God to restore his grace upon them. Come back to us. And then he asked that he would do that through, and you notice the Old Testament reference, what was Jesus' favorite title for himself? Son of Man. And you see it right here in Psalm 80. He asked that he would do that through the Son of Man, which of course is a reference to Christ. And then, of course, when, when he, the, the Son of Man, Christ, when he did come in fullness of time, uh, he announced now here with Jesus, we'll fast forward back to where we are, he is the true vine. And God the Father, in fact, was the vine dresser. The, the Father owns the vineyard, and it is the Father's responsibility to care and nurture for it. And so Christ was the, the true vine because he was the fulfillment of Israel. Jesus goes on to say in verse 2, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Any um, folks in here with fruit trees and, and, and fruit plants? Anybody here? I know uh, Danny and Lily have a bunch of fruit trees and plants. Anybody else here? We just started. You just started. So you got you learn some stuff from here, right? For your garden, right? About pruning, right? Anybody, you've been there? You, you know what it takes to... Uh, to prune, do you understand what pruning is? Right, it's it's a required process. Well, I understand what not pruning is. Yeah, you know, yeah. And what happens? You can go there. You can go there. Well, that's easy like for us. The particular apple tree we have, whenever Daddy planted it, has not been pruned, and this year it has died. It has died. <clears throat> hmm. Wonderful imagery, right? Wonderful example. In nature, okay, and by how God works with us. So this, this imagery, this vineyard, uh, the vine, the branches, the pruning, it's, it, it's real in, in terms of how God deals with us, but it's real. We see it working out in nature. Well, one, one of the main points when Jesus is using this, one, one of the main points in Jesus' discourse here, because he's talking about us being um, in the vine, we're branches in the vine. One of his main points is that Christians, you and me, his disciples, are to be fruitful. 
He is making that point. Okay, that we are to be fruitful. Now, what, what do you mean by that? Fruitful, we don't bear fruit. What does he mean? We are to be productive in the kingdom of God. That's what a main point Jesus is trying to convey. We are, we are to be productive for the sake of the kingdom. This, this theme, this thing of being productive, of bearing fruit, uh, is found throughout the pages of the New Testament. Uh, And R.C. said that I I frequently find people, uh, particularly in the academic circles, who think that if you're a Christian, you really don't have to do a whole lot. That's what a lot of very smart, seemingly smart people would think. He says, uh, but again, he's talking about people, this this idea of productive, it's throughout the New Testament. You can't deny that it's not here in the Scriptures. But you have some very academically... uh, Astute people, and they're they're trying to be so smart, and they've educated themselves into imbecility. But they think that because that we are justified by faith alone, then work our production is inconsequential. Now, you know, is that does that square up with the rest of Scripture? Is, is it true that our justification is based on faith alone? Yes, it is. Right, not not of our works. That's any man should boast. They would say that we could kick back, we can relax, uh, we can take it easy, we're saved by our faith, and, and, and we can be utterly worthless in the kingdom of God, being completely unfruitful in the vineyard. Well, that's a very convenient way of looking at things, isn't it? It's extremely convenient. However, it's completely wrong, isn't it? It is completely wrong. We, it is true we are justified by faith apart from works. But we can also say that we are justified by faith unto works. Can't we? we can, there's a difference, right? There is a difference. We are justified by faith unto works. Now, Dr. Sproul, he gave a, um, talks about a time when he was teaching in college. And, you know, college kids, they got it made, you know. They really do. I, I, if you drive by a college campus and you see kids, you know, I look at them and I'm going, man, college is wasted on young people. It really is. It is absolutely wasted on young people. They haven't made, they don't even know it. Um, but, he, but, but he says that many times when he was giving exams to college students, he says he would see something like this. He would ask it, it'd be a, a, a quiz or a test with essay questions, you know. And he would get a response to an essay question like this. And it would would go something like this. Dear Professor Sproul, I didn't prepare enough for this exam. I'm sorry, and I won't let it happen again. Please be merciful to me because I really do love Jesus. Now, where are they coming? What What is the argument they are making? Okay, the, ar- the argument that the student is trying to make is that the professor should not require responsible behavior from them. You know, that they didn't prepare and, and that should be okay. And, and, and there, what's the reason? The reason is because it is based on I shouldn't require this behavior because they have made a profession of faith in Christ. I'm looking for mercy because I really... I really do love Jesus, and I, you know we need to look past this. Doctor Sproul said, "Well, 
when I saw something like that in a response, he said I, he would respond back to him, and it would go something like this, and he would say, "I'm delighted to hear of the state of your soul, and I hope you have grasped the doctrine of justification by faith alone, comma. But when grading my students, I practice justification by works alone." <laughs> Puts it, it puts things in the proper perspective, doesn't it? I practice justification by works alone when grading my students. Be interesting to see if I was one of those students who wrote that and get that response from Dr. Sprulwood. Hmm. I don't think there's anything I can say to that. There's no response to that, is it? He went on to add uh, this this idea of being saved by faith and really not having to do any work, just really taking this, this really lazy attitude. Uh, he went on to say, this is really, he says, I see it often in Christian ministries. So we're thinking about um, maybe church ministries, parachurch ministries, right? Ligonier Ministries itself is a parachurch ministry, right? It's not the church. It is a parachurch ministry. And he says, I see it all the time in these ministries. He says, we think, that we don't have to be concerned with productivity. Hmm. He says, on, on the contrary, our calling as Christians is the highest calling there is, isn't it? The, the idea of productivity is not the invention of capitalism. That is not an American thing. It is what? It is the mandate of Christ Himself to be productive, to bear fruit for the sake of the kingdom. What we know about how Christ saves us is He saves us in our futility, our worthlessness, right? We are worthlessness apart from Him. And then He calls us to do what? To be fruitful, to be productive. And He makes it clear, Jesus makes it clear, that if He were to leave us completely alone, then we would be completely powerless to do anything. We would, we would produce, at, if he left us alone, we would produce nothing worthwhile. There would be nothing we could do that worthwhile because as our Lord says later in this passage, what he's saying in verse 5, without me, you can do nothing. Now, what does he mean by that? What he says, without me, you can do nothing. Does that mean that you just sit and you do nothing? That's not what he's talking about, right? What's he talking about? Sure, you can... Without him, if he were to leave you alone, you could go about your business every day, right? You could do that. You can go about your affairs every day, right? You could even go to church every day or every, every Sunday. You could be all about the busyness of life. But Jesus is saying that if I'm not working through you, none of what you do is productive for the sake of the kingdom. Without me, you can do nothing for the sake of the kingdom. You can, you can do a lot of stuff for you. Right? True. I can do a lot of stuff. I can do a lot of stuff for my family. I can do a lot of things. I can, I can put food on. I can do all these things. But none of the, without me, Jesus is saying, none of those things is productive for the sake of the kingdom. Man. Without me, you can do nothing. Jason, don't you think some of those other things should be a witness to His graciousness in our lives? Oh, amen. That the, you were saying, you know, we could do things. We could provide for our family. We could go work. 
but all of those are apart from me you can do nothing if I don't give this grace you don't eat if I don't give this grace you don't have a home yeah. or clothes or safety or anything well, yeah. Amen. and that's taking it to another lo- whole other level but you're right I think I, in that way I think we should be um, that's what should push us to repentance that's those reminders that Lord why did you bless me and my family why did you put us here uh, in, in this particular place at this time I think those what you might call common graces the rain that mm-hmm. comes on the just and the unjust mm-hmm. should be what encourages and draws God's people to himself Amen. Uh, to to have a, a hunger and a desire to walk in the spirit uh, as Jesus is saying here apart from mm-hmm. me you can do nothing certainly we can't build the kingdom right. in the strength and wisdom of man but absolutely to to walk in his ways to be obedient to bear fruit <clears throat> unless we're self-deceived none of us believe that's work we can do amen but shouldn't we as God's people be the ones that praise him for each and every what would be considered a, a small blessing um, the fact that we can work and that there's joy in it at all in this mm-hmm. world with briars and thistles and thorns yes that there's any satisfaction in it yep um, there are just way too many things to to walk away from thinking well look look what I've done amen to that to, to not to not fall on our knees before him unless you did this completely agree yes sir I completely agree thank you that's a again taking it to a whole other level which I is I think to take it to another level okay hello. is um, Isaiah 32 17 is one that I've been thinking about this week the work of righteousness will be peace and the effect of righteousness quietness and assurance forever so in the work that we do, that creates peace. And if we're not creating peace, then the work is not righteousness. That's a fruit of the labor, isn't it? A lot of, a lot of fruits of labor. Amen. Thank you both for adding to the discussion. Again, if anyone else, yeah, if you have something you want to say, please raise your hand and say it by all means. Christ did say it. he holds all things together. He does. He holds all things together without him that we wouldn't be here. Amen to that. Yeah, takes it to the tenth degree. Amen to that. So, so back to our productivity, fruit, bearing fruit. What is the fruit that Jesus wants to see in our lives? How would you answer that question? Anybody? How would you answer that? What is the fruit that Jesus wants to see? In our lives, it, you, you can ask. There's, there's something, okay, and this is from his. Some think that the only fruit that Jesus wants to see is the, the fruit of people coming to faith. Some people think that's the only fruit. Now, how does that sound? Is that, yeah, okay. Certainly, is that a part of it? Yes, evangelism. Missions, all those things, right? That's to, hey, go into all the nations, right? Telling. So definitely a part of what we're to be about, right? Um, bearing fruit does mean leading people to Christ. But, but others would argue that bearing fruit is obedience to the law of God. Is that all? Is, 
It's part of it too, isn't it? We all have different things that God has blessed us with and different jobs in the, right? jobs in the church. So right? Whatever you know, our particular um, bent is toward that, whatever, you know, whatever he gifts us with, the gifts that he gives, different jobs, different, mm-hmm. different, you have preachers, teachers, right. families, different people that have different, right. so whatever degree, whatever position you guys put you in. That would be helping the right? ministry of the church. So, so we got on one hand, bearing fruit is people coming to Christ. Uh, and others, it's bearing fruit as obedience to the law of God. Now, now, certainly, both are in view when we talk about bearing fruit, right? Both are important. And both are involved in bearing fruit. But as Sproul puts it here, he says, the central emphasis here on fruit in the New Testament has to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The central, essentially in view here, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Dr. Sproul says, this is the fruit of a changed life. A changed character. A character that is strengthened and is nurtured by the source of holiness, even Christ Himself. The fruit of of the Spirit. Well, fruit huh? is something that you pick and eat and enjoy. Mm. So, I, I think that says a great deal if it's about your life. Can somebody pick something from your life that leaves the fragrance of Christ? Mm. Mm. <laughs> Wonderful. It kind of goes a little bit about what Julie was saying about uh, peace, right? About the result of, uh, of peace. Do you, are you a qual- are you a quarrelsome person? But that that yeah. works out within the church, within the body. Yeah. It works out within your family. Oh yeah. It works out within your business associates. It works out in your recreation. Yes, it does. I mean, it's fruit that goes everywhere. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Well, well said. Well said. The fruit of a Christian life. Is a lot. Which we can't do without him. Without me, you can do nothing. Right? Is what Jesus says in the same passage. Perfect. We're 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 picking up what he's laying down here. Wonder anybody else? Anybody else have anything they want to add to that particular discussion? It's good, very good discussion. Dr. Ferguson um, relates it. He shows it from Paul, from really from Romans, even through the epistles, the other pastoral epistles. He explains it in several different ways. He says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Um, he says to put on Christ. Um, one, of his, one of Dr. Ferguson's favorite phrases, um, talking about our union with Christ. And all of these are different ways of 
of speaking about living and walking in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's what Jesus is saying here, that uh, he's telling them I'm God, and that I am the I am, that phrase should just jump out to us and to them. But it, it should also show us that Jesus, the Word, walking in the Spirit, is not an add-on to the Christian life. This is the, the beginning, the middle, the end. It's not just for people who need justification by faith alone. It's for people who need to learn how to walk in faith. Mm. That every day I put on Christ. Every day I seek to walk in the Spirit. Let the Word of Christ dwell in me richly. Mm-hmm. Um, I think anyone who would say, well, there's no action for me to do as a believer, is confusing justification and sanctification. Mm-hmm. And absolutely, we are to, to be obedient to the Lord in our sanctification and, and obey the law of God. But this is a, this is a, a bedrock issue for Christians mm-hmm. every day what he's talking about here. Mm-hmm. Because every day, unless we get up and truly believe what he says, apart from me, you can do nothing that's pleasing, nothing that bears fruit, um, then we'll believe that when we're bad, we lose our place in the kingdom. And when we're good, it's because of us. Mm-hmm. We get all of reality mixed up unless we, we truly, unless he opens our eyes to truly see this. Mm-hmm. And... Lord, help me this day not to take a step believing that I can do it in my own strength. That's that's every Christian. Um, yep. Every truly humble Christian before Him. All of us. Yes, sir. Hmm. So, the the to, to move from this one, uh, again, the central, he, he, I'll restate, the central emphasis on fruit in the New Testament has to do with the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Thank you all for adding to this. Now, before we move on too far, we can't overlook this warning that Jesus gives us here in verse 2. There's a warning from Jesus Himself. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, Dr. Sproul says, I don't like the translation here. So because in the Greek, there's a play on words here that is being used. And it makes it very difficult to translate into another language when there's a play on words, right? Uh, Jesus, Jesus did say that those who bear fruit receive from God. Uh, there's this word, and if I mispronounce it, I'm sorry, it's "ario," which means to be cut off. That's the Greek word, to be cut off. And everyone who bears fruit receives katharia, which is translated here to prune. That's the other Greek word. If I said them wrong, I apologize. I'm not a Greek scholar here. Uh, The two words do sound alike, but the second one, the one that is translated prune, means a cleansing. Okay, so it's a little bit, there's more to it, right? So it's like Jesus said here, those who are in me and do not bear fruit are cut off. And those who bear fruit are cleansed, purified, nurtured, and pruned so that they become even more productive. So you see, the, it's a, it's, it, there's more meaning behind that than just simply being pruned. Now remember, the metaphor being used here is based on the production of grapes and the cultivation of grapevines. Now, 
we mentioned already about the, a garden and a gardener, right? If you see a well taken, uh, a, a vineyard that's been well taken care of, then you know that there is a husbandman around, right? He is the one who is tending the grapevines. And so the husbandman in this case is the one who sees the branches that are not producing grapes, but are instead only doing what? They're, they're taking sap, they're taking strength away from the vine, they're producing no grapes, no fruit. He cuts them off. And he does what? He gathers them, the dead sticks, the dead pieces, the dead branches, and throws them into the fire to get rid of them. And they're burned. But the ones he sees that are bearing fruit, he does what? He cuts back, he prunes, so that their fruit may increase. Right? Now, Isn't that a, a wonderful metaphor for the Christian life? It, it is. Um... Once we are saved, God doesn't say, okay, um, you're in me, you're, you're saved, you're in the vine, I put my stamp of approval on you now, let go and let God. How many Christians have you ever heard say that, let go and let God? You know, that's, that's not in the Bible. A lot of them will quote that like that's the Bible verse, right? That is not in the Bible, is it? Um, I, I will, I'll take care of you the rest of your life. You don't have to worry about anything. Right? That's, that's not what he says, is it? God never says anything like that. The reality is that God loves us so much that he cleanses us. Back to that, that Greek word, he cleanses us. In other words, he, he chastens us. And sometimes his hand can be heavy on our lives, can't it? Sometimes God is heavy handed. That is the process that we go through to be made pure. That is the process that we are going through. And as with all metaphors, okay, uh, we must be very careful not to take the metaphors to the extreme. It's very, it's very dangerous to take one element of a metaphor and then push it to its extreme. It's very dangerous because what comes up here with this section of Scripture is it comes up very often is that the idea that people who are saved can lose their salvation. And they'll get it from these verses. Can you, can, you, uh, can you become a branch of the vine and also be cut off and thrown into the fire? Before we get too far into this, let's, let's be clear about what John's, John's gospel, uh, perhaps more than any other gospel, strongly, clearly proclaims the doctrines of God's gracious election and all its implications, including the perseverance of the saints. John's gospel clearly teaches that, right? Once saved, always saved. That's the perseverance of the saints. And so if you have any doubts about this, we just got to flip over a couple chapters to chapter 17, right? Later, we'll get to that in our study, Lord willing. There, John makes it very clear that Jesus himself taught what? That he would never let one of, he would never lose any one of his. He would never let his own people go. So back to the question of being in the vine. We tend to think that only truly saved people can be in the vine. Well, that would be true if being in the vine meant being in the state of salvation. However, being in the vine here is most likely a reference to being a member of the visible church. Being on the role visible church, right? The members of the visible 
church. In that case, we're talking about people who have what? Only an external association. Okay, with the visible church. Dr. Sproul said, I believe that is the kind of relationship that Jesus had in mind, if you remember his parable of the sower. When Jesus talked about the seed that fell on the rock. You remember that? Or did he say, that seed did what? It sprouted up quickly. But it very soon became withered. Right? Luke 8, verse 13. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root. Who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. These, these people appear on the outside to be in Christ. They say all the right things. They do the, what they're supposed to do. They go to church, but, but they are not. And they will soon fall away. And tragically, probably all of us have met someone or know someone like that. It's, it's, it's extremely sad to see. Dr. Sproul said, I once received a letter. It says, I prayed the sinner's prayer. Does that mean I can never be lost? Hmm. How would you, how would you answer that question? I prayed the sinner's prayer. Does that mean I can never be lost? Well, R.C. said no. No. That doesn't mean you can never be lost because no one has ever been saved by saying the sinner's prayer. No one, in fact, has ever been saved by making a profession of faith. Likewise, no one is ever saved by joining the visible church. By joining a Christian church, it is true, a person is brought into this earthly sanctuary where the means of grace is most heavenly concentrated. Right? That is where the means of grace are most heavenly concentrated, within the visible church. Right? It is, it is a huge advantage to be there where the word of God is preached, right? And where people are gathered with fellowship. It is a huge advantage to be there. But even being in their midst, in the middle of that, does not guarantee, in fact, that you were saved. Jesus goes on to say in verses 3 and 4, He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Here we see Jesus use the word abide. Now, when you hear that word abide in me, the word has to do with this idea. The idea of remaining close to Him. That's what, that's what we should be thinking about when we think abide in Him. How, remaining close to Jesus. Je, Jesus is saying, in the context of, of this discourse, He's saying that our productivity, our fruitfulness, is directly linked to our abiding in Him. As... As Christians, as saved people, we will bear fruit, right? You will. If you're saved, if, if redeemed, you will bear fruit, but it may vary in degrees. 
among believers. The closer we stay to Christ, abiding in Him, the more, we're going, the more fruit we're going to bear. That's what He's saying. You have to abide in Me. You have to be close to Me. The more we wander, okay, that's the W-A-N-D-E-R, right? Wander. The more we wander uh, from the center, from Christ, and the more we neglect the means of grace that is given to us, then guess what? The less fruit we're going to produce. Right? The less fruit we're going to produce. Um, Dr. Sproul shared a story. Uh, some of you probably heard this before because this is not a, this is something he heard. And I'm sure you've probably heard this before. It's a wonderful analogy. He says, there was a man who joined the local church, maybe the church just like Lebanon, but he never attended a worship service. But he came to the church picnic. Right? Came to the church picnic. So the minister took the opportunity to speak to him. He knows you joined the church. I haven't seen you. You don't come to church regularly, but you're here at the picnic. So he takes the opportunity to speak to him. He says, hey brother, I hadn't seen you in church lately. And he says, um, that's true. The man answered. He says, I've, I've learned that I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I can, I can commune with God in my own way. Right? I don't need to gather with the church on Sunday mornings. I don't need to assemble together with the saints. And the pastor said, I, I understand. I understand what you're saying. <coughs> then he, again, it's a picnic, right? So they're grilling out. So he walks over to a nearby charcoal grill where there were some hamburgers being grilled, right? You probably heard this story before. You know where I'm going with this. And so what did he do? Using some tongs, he grabbed a hot, white, white hot coal and he moved it over to the side of the grill. Then he continued to talk with the man for a few minutes. And he says, now, look, look at that coal. So just, just a few moments ago, it was white hot. It was filled with heat and warmth and it was useful it was actually grilling our hamburgers. It was doing, it was being fruitful, right? It's being productive. He said, but look what happened when I took it away from the rest of them. It's set apart over there now by itself. What very quickly happens? It's, it grows cold, doesn't it? It has become absolutely now worthless for the task at which it was meant to do. He says, that's what happens when we move away from Christ. That's what happens. This is why Jesus told His disciples to abide in Me. He said, stay close to Me. It says, take hold of me. Hold on tightly. I want you to be right here. Uh, don't uh, any of us start thinking that we can make it on our own. I don't need the fellowship of the saints. I don't need to be gathered with the body. I can, I can worship at home by myself. Right. Jason, yes, sir. 
in the news this week. I don't know if anybody saw it other than me. But there were statistics, I can't remember what they were, of people that were saying they were Christian but not attend church. And it was mm-hmm. an extremely high, very disturbing uh, statistic that they would they would say they were Christian but they and they believed in God, but they did not attend a church. And that's exactly what you're saying, is that they're not being embers to flames, if you, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and they're not being fed. They're out there, and they're that coal that's sitting off by itself. Right? Do you, do you, do, do, is, are we saved by coming to church? Absolutely not. We're not saved by being here, right? Being a member of the church. We're not saved by that. But Jesus made it very clear that you have to be close to Him. How do you get close to Him? The means He's provided, the means of grace. You get them in the context of the visible church. You get them. You get them by being here, right? You get them by hearing the word preached. You get hit you by by praying together, corporate singing, the, the psalms. Our worship service is a is feeding our soul, isn't it? It is. It is encouragement for the. We got a tough week ahead of us. Some of us, you know, and and it's we we need to be here. If we're going to be fruitful out there, we got to be here. We got to be gathered with the saints. We have to be plugged in. We got to be. How do you be close to Jesus? You're you're close with His church, right? That's how you stay close with Him. Martin Luther, ah, Martin Luther, Matthew Henry. I'll leave you with this final quote because our time is is gone. He said, "Let us seek to live more simply on the fullness of Christ, and to grow more fruitful, productive in every good work and word, so that our joy in Him and His salvation will be full." It's good time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, thank you for this reminder, Father, that uh, about how important it is. It's vitally important. So it's it's a, it's a matter of life and death um, to be to stay close with you. Father, thank you for our discussion this morning. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for just being here with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Father, now as we leave our Bible study time, Father, we uh, ask that as we, as we go into worship, Father, when, when the pastor calls us to worship with your word, Father, we pray that, that we, whatever, Father, that may be occupying our thoughts and our minds, Father, whatever may be distracting us from participating in the means of grace, Father, we pray that you will focus our attention on you, Father, and your word. Father, we are eager, make us eager to hear your word preached. Father, make us eager to, to sing our songs, Father, not because our voice is great, but Father, because we want to praise you. Father, for that, and that's the only reason we need, to praise you and give back to you, Father, what you deserve. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.